The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V and pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. Hello, Tom. How are you? There? Good, Father. Good it's to see you. Seeing. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you. Thank you, too. Father, before we get into the emails tonight, I would like to ask for your opinion on this idea of Christopher Columbus and Columbus Day. We just <coughs> celebrated Columbus Day here in America yesterday, <coughs> and I know here in Cincinnati, and uh, really parallels what's happening all over the country where our, our city hall here in Cincinnati has been having this discussion of Columbus Day and whether that's an appropriate holiday, national holiday to have. There's been some talk of renaming it to in the Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, even last night, just last night at the Cincinnati Public School Board meeting, there was a, a strong discussion about this idea of renaming Columbus Day Indigenous Peoples Day because Christopher Columbus does not uh, represent what the Cincinnati School Board stands for. Uh, they say that he, that he was a mass murderer, that, that, that basically that history needs to be corrected here, that, that for all this time what we've been teaching about Christopher Columbus has not been true. He does not represent our values and that we should do away with that. And instead we should focus on this Indigenous Peoples Day. What are your thoughts on that, Father? It's a bunch of propaganda. It's a bunch of leftist propaganda. Straight out leftist propaganda. And the people who say these things may, may actually believe them to be true. That's the worst part of it. They've been taught by our public school systems. And, uh, no, no, they've been taught by our government schools, okay? Mm -hmm. The leftists and the government schools uh, basically themselves have seized the public, the government school system uh, through the, uh, the, 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 the unions, and and also through the so-called Department of Education, which was a, a complete invention contrary to the Constitution of the United States of America. All of that has enabled them to seize this generation, its minds, its hearts, and uh, pervert them. Right? And uh, part of that perversion is this this the leftist propaganda with regard to. Um, um, you know, the, the founding fathers of our country and the discoverers of this uh, new world, as, we, as it was known at the time. <clears throat> uh, you know, but the, the mantra they, they keep chanting underneath all of this is the mantra that the indigenous peoples were leading a sort of idyllic life. <clears throat> they were so well off before the uh, the missionaries arrived, before the conquistadores arrived, they were all so happy and cheery, and and uh, they got along so well. And uh, and then the the missionaries brought Christianity, and it ruined everything. In fact, I remember seeing a movie poster once that said uh, the Incas had wealth and power and joy and all the rest, and then. <clears throat> And then the missionary, the Christians arrived. The missionary Christians arrived. Ruined everything. Huh? And that is a bunch of leftist propaganda is all it is. The fact is the indigenous people here were, in fact, very brutal. 
They lived very brutal, precarious lives, often just hanging on by a thread. <clears throat> um, they uh, enslaved each other. They would uh, not only enslave each other, they would cook each other and eat each other. They would sacrifice each other to their gods, so-called, their false gods. In fact, if you wanted to talk about the first great liberator here, um, in this part of the world, you could actually nominate uh, Hernando, Hernando Cortez, who liberated uh, many uh, native Indian, indigenous people, so-called, from the heel of the Aztecs, their brutal, uh, just hellish, I mean, it was a hellish existence of the Aztecs, and their uh, sacrificing uh, not only prisoners of war, those captured in war, but even the um, the tribute that Indian tribes around them, the subject peoples had to pay them, uh, sending their maidens and sending their young men to be pressed into service or to be murdered at the top of the hummingbird temple of the Aztecs by having their chests smashed open, their hearts ripped down. This was the wonderful, happy, cheery life that the pagans had before Christianity. This is what Rousseau, uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, and so on, you know, portray as the noble savage. And this is this is what Margaret Mead propagandized with her anthropology, so-called, uh, really misanthropology, <clears throat> trying to show that the pagan lifestyle before Christianity was was like the Garden of Eden. It was all perfect, and then Christianity ruined everything. In fact, when uh, Cortes uh, had his very few uh, conquistadores confront Montezuma, um, Montezuma, I'm sorry, he was telling Montezuma, you have to stop all these human sacrifices. And he wasn't talking about them killing Spaniards, he was talking about killing, killing indigenous mm -hmm. peoples there. And uh, Montezuma, you know, would not relent on that because, let's face it, this is a devil worship, and this is how they, this was their power. This is how they sold themselves to, this, to Satan. They were worshiping him, but he's the one who gave them power over all of their subject peoples, and they recognized that. They recognized this was, this was at the root of their whole culture. You could not have Aztec culture without the human sacrifice, and so they weren't going to part with it. <clears throat> And so uh, many of these indigenous peoples fought not for but with Cortes to free their people from the heel of this monstrous Aztec um, murderous devil-worshipping so-called civilization that is so lovingly and glorified and, and you know, glowingly spoken about by the, uh, the leftists of the day. They'd like to bring that back. They want to restore that. <clears throat> Uh, that type of thing, precisely that type of thing. Even as Stalin did in, in Soviet Russia. <clears throat> they're not horrified by that. This is what they're looking for. Okay. Now, um, so as I say, it's a bunch of leftist propaganda. Christopher Columbus, Christopher, the name means Christ-bearer, and Colomb is for the dove, right? <clears throat> and Columbus was a human being. He had his faults, no doubt about it. I mean, he also was given to all the seven capital sins uh, by fallen human nature. But he was, by and large, a, a decent man. And he really had the faith, and he tried to live it. He truly tried to live the faith of Christ. Um, no, he did not just round up Indians or native uh, peoples in order to, as he thought, call them Indians, because he was looking for in passage to India. 
and just enslave them wholesale. He did not murder them wholesale. He, he did not attack unless he was attacked. Uh, um, so he was not this, this vicious enslaver, they'd like to think. <clears throat> in fact, um, when they talk about slavery here in these shores, they, they, they just completely ignore the fact that it takes two to enslave the people who sell and the people who buy. And the slave traders were bringing the slaves from Africa, where they were, where they were taken prisoner by, uh, by African indigenous natives, and members of the uh, warring tribes were selling each other off into slavery. Of course, that doesn't count. Of course, it's only the, the whites. And by the way, it was largely the Protestant. Um, um, the shippers who were doing the slave trading. I, I don't think you'd find there were many, if you find any Catholic ship owners who were doing the slave trading. You'll find that it was many from northern northern um, <clears throat> Europe who were actually involved in the, in the slave trade. And uh, even Catholics who were booking passages on these ships were treated very, very badly, very cruelly uh, by these uh, Protestant uh, shippers. So, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a lot of abuse that went around at the time, and it was often very anti-Catholic on top of that. <laughs> but uh, the whole idea <clears throat> is to, to try to get our own people completely un, um, to reject, to reject Christianity, period, okay? Um, the Masons, Nubius, <clears throat> who wrote the permanent, what we know as the permanent instruction of the Alta Vendita, and which was found in the Masonic lodges back in the early 1800s, said that the purpose was to forget, to destroy the very memory of Christ, to erase the memory of Christ in the world and Christianity. And 200 years before him, it was Voltaire who laid that out. And Nubius says, our goal is that of Voltaire, to completely eradicate the memory of Christ and Christianity from the face of the earth. This attack on Columbus and the rest of, of them um, but especially Columbus, I would say, because he was one of the more decent of them. I mean, there were some adventurers who were anything but Christian, and they were very cruel, um, uh, because they weren't in it for the gold and, uh, and the power. You know, they, they wanted to be named governors of these provinces, and they wanted to have the wealth to themselves. There's no doubt about it. There were people like that, too. But Columbus was not one of these wicked individuals. I mean, he really did have faith, and he tried to live it. <clears throat> and uh, that meant not only uh, it meant faith, hope, and charity, it meant justice. And he tried, uh, despite his human failings, to live up to that. Um, <clears throat> another example, by the way, I mean, there's so much history behind this, all of this old concept. It's important for us as Catholics to have a grasp of what really happened here. The reductions in Paraguay. Another example of uh, missionaries, in this case Jesuit missionaries, who came to the reductions in Paraguay, what is now Paraguay, <clears throat> worked among the, the indigenous peoples and built a very strong civilization there. The problem was <clears throat> that they were so successful <clears throat> among the indigenous peoples in Paraguay, the Guarani, that the Guarani were actually getting to the point where they could actually defend themselves, and they could actually be independent. And the Masons back in Europe did not want that. 
They wanted them, the Guarani, to work as slaves on the on the on the plantations there, and did not want them to get to the point where they were uh, well enough instructed and well enough, uh, shall we say, um, uh, armed or or have the the implements necessary to defend themselves. <clears throat> so the most Christian kings of Portugal and Spain and France had prime ministers who were masons. It's a matter of record. The prime ministers of those Christian nations were, were, were Masons, and they were working for the Masons, and they were pursuing the Masonic agenda. And they were pressing very, very hard to have the Jesuits completely suppressed. They succeeded in getting the Jesuit order, which were the missionaries of those days. I mean, we, we think about Father, <clears throat> Father Sarah out in California with the Franciscans. The Franciscans arrived only because the Jesuits who were working out there first with the indigenous peoples, the Jesuits were so successful at bringing them into the Catholic faith that the Masons marked them for death. And uh, so there was this hue and cry from the Masons back in, in Europe, together with the Jansenists, who, who hated the Jesuits. They had they were the they were the legal they were the legal wing of this, the, the Jesuits, okay? The legists in the courts of the Christian kings were 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 uh, were Jansenists. And the politicians were the Masons. And they persuaded, persuaded one by one the King of France, the King of Spain, the King of Portugal to suppress the Jesuits in these countries. And the missions were snuffed out, just like that. In the colonies, the missions were snuffed out. Ships were sent from Europe to gather the Jesuits at Bayonet Point, load them up, and, and just take them away and dump them in the ocean or bring them back where they were just pariahs. And uh, finally, enough pressure was brought on Pope Clement XIV, who was a Franciscan, as it turned out. The stories are very curious as to how these things happen. The previous Pope, Clement XIII, would not yield to the pressure. Not the pressure of kings, not the pressure of, of prime ministers, not the pressure of, of anyone. He would not suppress the Jesuits. <clears throat> but he did recommend a certain, a certain cardinal. He recommended a man to be made a cardinal who was a Franciscan. And that man having become a, become a cardinal, then became the next pope when Clement XIII died. Clement XIII, by the way, was the pope who was instituting the feast days in honor of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Again, something hated by the, by the Jansenists, hated by them, the, the image of the Sacred Heart. And um, when Clement XIII died, the Masons put so much pressure that they got their man elected, this Franciscan, Cardinal became a pope, and he uh, he immediately imprisoned the master general, the superior of the Jesuits, imprisoned him, and then he turned around and he gave in to the pressure from the Masons to suppress the Jesuits. So it wasn't just the King of France suppressing the Jesuits within France and French territories. It wasn't just the King of Spain suppressing the Jesuits in Spain and Spanish colonies, or Portugal and Portuguese colonies. The entire church at this point, because of the weakness of Clement the Fourteenth, 
just simply erased the Jesuits, <clears throat> annihilated them. The order did not exist. It went out of existence with a stroke of a pen. And Clement XIV, in signing that decree, said, for this reason, that reason, the other reason, none of which amounted to much. And then he said, and for reasons known only within our heart. Well, okay, we know what that is. He, he caved in to the pressure. Interesting to note, the Jesuits were the educators. The only realms where the Jesuits were not suppressed were in Protestant realms. Frederick of Prussia did not suppress the Jesuits. He needed them. Catherine in Russia did not suppress the Jesuits. They did not obey the order of Clement Fourteenth. They were the educators. But throughout the church, in, in Catholic countries, the Jesuits were suppressed. They were rounded up wherever they were, hunted down, rounded up, and taken off, and often uh, they died very hard deaths. You know? And uh, one of our own founding fathers here, John Carroll, was a Jesuit. Right? He woke up one morning to find that his order had been suppressed. The Jesuits didn't even exist anymore. They were out of existence for 40 years. Why am I mentioning this? I'm mentioning this because it was precisely because of the prosperity of the indigenous peoples, because of the missionaries working with them, that they were found to be a threat back in Europe to the Masonic plan to subjugate them. And it's ironic now that the leftists now are blaming the church for having subjugated these people, and especially pointing at Columbus, who was actually a very good representative of a Catholic explorer, better than many others. Um, and, and they have a particular venom toward Cortes, too. <clears throat> Even though he actually was fighting for indigenous peoples and their, their rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I know the leftists hate that now. Um, against the Aztec Empire. Um, so, you know, it, it, we, we, have to, we have to know our Catholic history. We have to be able to defend it. We have to get straight our, in our own minds what we're dealing with here. And, um, you know, for those people out there who are very confused and don't know what to think, we need to help them find their way. Uh, are there good things written about these? This, yeah, actually, there are some very good things written about this. Uh, this very subject of Columbus, and uh, there are also, um, you know, some programs that are, I hate to direct anybody to an internet, unfortunately, because of all the filth on there, but there's some very, there, there's truth out there for people who are willing to find it. Father, you know, in, in recent programs, you mentioned how once uh, the Jogues was over here, how but at the one time he wasn't he wasn't eating, and one of the Indians offered him something to eat, and it was a human hand. You also mentioned how, uh, I believe in California, how some of the indigenous people out there would not have any clothes during the whole summer, and then during winter they would kind of roll around in the mud, cover cover their bodies with, with mud, and uh, you know it, it seems we're kind of. Reverting back to that, the, the, that's the that's the that's unfortunately that's the truth of what the indigenous people were, and you know I think that that this discussion now that that uh, public school boards and really the whole entire country is having now saying how Christopher Christopher Columbus doesn't represent our values, they're 100 percent right on that because Christopher no, Columbus. They're being honest in that regard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Christopher Columbus represented essentially Catholicism and uh, a Christian nation, and mm. what. The indigenous people represented what what the, it aligns perfectly with what this liberalism is going and to. And these people 
our own favorite barbarism and savagery. Mm-hmm. That's that's what they want. And they they they're reverting exactly back to what they had with the indigenous mm-hmm. people. Where I mean, you see how how fast clothes are being shed in our society, and then we also have I mean, with with abortion, we have human sacrifice now. And look at the rise of cannibalism too. Yeah, and we we have we have people wonder how can this be, and we ask how can it not be? Of course, yeah. this is what they're going. This is where they're pushing us right now. Mm-hmm. Back to cannibalism. Yeah. You know, you mentioned. Um, St. Isaac's joke, and the native, the indigenous person, picking the, putting the sharp stick in the pot and pulling out a human hand and waving it in front of his face, you know, like, take it, eat this. <laughs> well, you know, when you want to talk about indigenous populations here, when they arrived, they found the Hurons in, in the Iroquois. And they were killing and torturing, and eat, they were torturing, killing, and eating each other. Yeah. That's the reality of indigenous populations. That, that was the norm. I'm sorry, it was not the Garden of Eden, as the liberals would like to have us believe. But what makes these indigenous peoples indigenous peoples? <clears throat> I mean, they were here when Columbus arrived, so now that makes them indigenous people because they got here earlier than Columbus. But who was here before them? And what? Who, and they took the land away from those people. Yeah. Let's go fight for them. And and those they took away the land from other people who were here before yeah. them. You know. That's- so when they start talking about indigenous peoples, yeah. that doesn't make any sense at all. Really, that, that's a good point, Father. You know, the uh, the filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza he talks about that point often, where he says how there there's this obsession with oh how the uh, the when all the Europeans came over here they they conquered all this land they stole all this land. Well, who who were they stealing it from? Because if you look at the the history of what actually happened, all the Indian tribes were constantly stealing land from one another. So how can you say? that it actually belonged to this tribe when there, there's a history that just goes back forever since the beginning of just constantly shifting all this territory, all this land was, was constantly being fought over and constantly changing hands. So it's kind of kind of silly. Tell me, it gets back to tribalism. Yeah. I mean, that's the indigenous life, tribalism, yeah. right? If they're members of your tribe, there's loyalty. If they're not, eat them. <laughs> Torture them and <laughs> eat them, right? Yeah. And uh, this is what Columbus found when he came. This is what uh, the, the North American martyred Jesuits came. That's what they found. And, uh, you know, this is the reward they get from the pagans now who want to revert to paganism, who blame them for taking them away from that tribal life. Mm-hmm. They, they want that tribal life where most of the people are, are, are nothing but enslaved. They're, they're enslaved populations by by an empire. So uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up here. There's a lot more that could and be, should be said, and I guess uh, we'll have to draw the line. <laughs> You'll have to draw the line somewhere. But I just, if we got the point across to people not to fall for that yeah. huge uh, bunch of <coughs> propaganda mm-hmm. that is being spewed forth by uh, the leftists of, of, the, of today, then at least we will have accomplished that to put them on their guard against it. Sure. Well, then that's enough, Father, for Columbus Day. But what about this next uh, so-called holiday that's coming up with Halloween? We, we've we've had requests to talk about that and the traditional Catholic viewpoint on Halloween. And should we celebrate that? You see how they're glorifying that now. They're actually crowing now that as much or more money is going to be spent on Halloween than is spent on Christmas. Okay. This is a great triumph for them, the leftists. You know, they love this. Why? Because the left actually uh, favors, favors a, a, a satanic society. That's what they really want. <clears throat> uh, they talk about the alt-left, okay? Whatever they're 
you know, however you want to define that. But they, they really are directed toward neo-paganism, Satanism, and all the rest. Okay, this is what they, they favor, and this is the society they want. And so they're going to promote uh, Samhain. They're going to promote this, uh, uh, this pagan practice, or whether the, the idea that the, 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 the wall or the veil between the land of the living and the land of the dead is at its thinnest at that moment, at that time of year, <clears throat> and the dead can cross over and come into our world. And um, unfortunately, a lot, of our own, a lot of our own Catholic people have fallen into that, and fallen into that net, as it were, uh, of enjoying the, uh, the whole idea of spookiness and weirdness and twistedness and evil. It comes down to evil, really. Uh, it comes down to ugliness. It comes down to uh, uh, terror. And, uh, but what you're basically trying to do, what they're, what they're basically trying to do is, is um, <clears throat> make it into a celebration of hell. They're trying to have the powers of hell uh, invade the world, but because they're being invited, they're being invited into people's lives, into our society, we're wake, welcoming them with open arms, um, and uh, we're, we're embracing these things. These, these, <clears throat> these are actually uh, the opposite of the saints, okay? All Saints Day, the Vigil of All Saints Day, is when we celebrate the blessed souls who are with God in heaven right now. They are holy, and they have a great love for God, obviously. They have a perfect love for God. They are in heaven. And this was the satanic answer, you know? The satanic uh, response or attack on All Saints Day. <clears throat> and they want us, rather, to focus on the demons from hell and embrace them, dress up like them, honor them, imitate them. Um, <clears throat> it's meant to be a feast day for... Uh, the damned souls in hell, the demons, right? So um, that's, you know, again, you know, Catholic people should not be participating in this. Uh, we have the uh, All Saints Day pageant at the school. A lot of traditional Catholic schools do. I don't know how many Novus Ordo schools do that, maybe some of the more conservative ones, <clears throat> that still have vestiges of the Catholic faith for nostalgia, whatever reason. <clears throat> but in any case, we have the kids dress up as saints, learn the life of the saint, give a little talk on the life of the saint, and uh, celebrate uh, All Saints Day. Um, but um, unfortunately, a number of those uh, children then will go out and go trick-or-treating from door to door, which, again, is part of it. It's an occult practice, the whole idea behind it. They think it's fun, they think it's a game, and people laugh at the costumes and give the candy, and it's all very innocent. But unfortunately, uh, under, underneath that innocence, that, that, that uh, innocent appearance, and it used to be, I used to be perfectly innocent, you know, with kids back in my day, uh, back when, you know, the, <laughs> um, back in the, day. the universe was still forming and so on. Uh, <laughs> The, uh, you'd see the whole neighborhood, you know, kids in the whole neighborhood going from door to door in their costumes and whether a princess, a cowboy, you know, things like that. You didn't see a lot of demons. And, uh, in fact, people would have reacted very negatively. The kids showed up, <clears throat> would not have been impressed by somebody showing up with this horrible, wicked 
uh, face twisted mask on and so on. Um, but that was all very innocent. But now we've, we've got parents almost afraid to send their children around like that from door to door because of who might be living next door, the guy who's on the registry, right, now at the police department, or people slipping something in the candy for the kids and think it's pretty funny, or who knows what. So now the parents deliver the kids and, and, and perhaps even have to accompany the children because of the monsters who are actually out there, the human monsters who are waving the candy in the kid's face. So this is what the, the leftists have done. They ruin everything. <clears throat> Liberalism is institutionalized contempt for the authority of God, and <clears throat> it has very practical effects. The perversion of the innocence of the, even this is, is a result of liberalism and, and the leftists uh, who want to turn it into a feast of hell. So I just recommend to our people, don't, don't do that. Come up with something that expresses the church's mind of the Vigil of All, Soul, All Saints Day and uh, commemorate All Souls Day. Practice the Catholic feasts. Don't make Halloween a, a feast day of your family that overshadows All Saints Day and All Souls Day. If you do that, you'll live to regret it. Yeah. And your kids will learn to regret it. Yeah, it's, I, I thought it was, it was uh, very strange. Father. I've heard several people now say that, oh, Halloween is my favorite holiday. And that always just, just struck me as, as so so weird. I never understood the appeal behind that of being scared or... You're talking about Catholics, right? Uh, no, 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 just okay. Just, just, well, thank goodness. Yeah, <laughs> worried there for that. No, just just various various people out there. You you hear that a lot that, that Halloween is my favorite holiday, and I just I never understood this appeal behind being scared. I never I never understood that the scary movie thing or just the the sick distorted. I mean, if you come, it's original sin. Well, yeah, but mm -hmm. but it's it's just it's just gotten to the point where it's. I mean, if you drive down the street now, there's there's just billboards all over the place. It's just just the nastiest, mm -hmm. uh, just just most disgusting images you know I, I have two little girls and I, I hate sometimes even driving down the street I'm, I'm worried that they're going to see some of the, these mm -hmm. these sick posters and, and have nightmares about this for for yeah. weeks and months and it's just gotten to the point where it's just it's incredible I never well, there are studies that have been published recently that show that pornography actually affects the the brain development of a child mm -hmm. and you can expect the same thing from the horror yeah Affecting the brain development of the child, yeah, the, just the growth of the neurons, the uh, the the depths that this has descended to is just it's it's astounding. You know, there's a there's a real popular attraction here in Cincinnati, the the USS Nightmare, I believe it is, where uh, a haunted ship. Where if you go on there, there one of the one of the areas that you go through is a big uh, area with with what are supposed to be a bunch of body bags hanging all over in this ship and they, they have you know the, the blood coming out of them and, and the, the crowd makes their way through just this this body bags hanging all over and you're pushing your way through what, what are supposed to be these all these dead bodies in here and it's just uh, like you said it's it's a feast day for hell mm -hmm. it really is yeah take them to hell they're paying to get in too yeah and you know what they're paying to get in <laughs> they're paying to get in hell yeah they'll pay their way in yeah uh, fight their way in. Yeah. Uh, well, Father, let's move on to another email we we've got here. This is uh, concerning concerning martial arts. Thought this was a particularly interesting email here. Uh, so this this viewer wants to know: Can a traditional Catholic study or partake in martial arts? I think there are potential spiritual dangers, as with Reiki, I believe it is, and, and yoga. And I understand that often when anyone participates in a self improvement activity, they are potentially exposed to evil influence. I was interested in studying Aikido, which is strictly a defense-oriented martial arts. 
but I've read about it online, and there appears to be a religious a Shinto and a Buddhist influence in the art form. When I went to visit the local Aikido school, I was assured that it was not a religion and there was no formal worship. I'm a bit concerned about the meditative aspect of it, which can be spiritually dangerous, of course. But I also wanted to ask about bowing and respect to a picture of the founder. I certainly would never bow and respect, or for any reason, to a statue of Buddha. I appreciate your response very much, as I am simply looking to boost some self-esteem through learning a martial art form. Uh, well, you have a good reason to be concerned about that, because the martial arts largely were born and bred in, well, by monks belonging to one or the other religious groups, and uh, as part of their mind mastery, you know, uh, uh, regimes, right? And also in the in the in Asia, they uh, did in the Far East, they would link this martial, the warrior, together with the religious. Uh, one might say, well, that is similar then, wouldn't it be, to our own uh, military orders in the Catholic Church? And uh, the answer is, well, similar only insofar as you had uh, some quote-unquote religious foundation tied with the martial arts, but the, the, <clears throat> the martial part of it, the warrior part, had to do with fighting for Christ and not conquering indigenous peoples, <laughs> but actually the, mar the missionaries were there to give them the truth and the love. That was supposed to be the way their hearts were conquered, their souls were conquered. Um, <clears throat> not by martial artists going in and beating them up, okay? Um, so it was the, the martial, uh, the, the military orders in the church, were, were, uh, they came to be for the sake of defense, especially against Islam. And the aggression of Islam. Uh, the the martial arts in the in Asia are part of their religion. They're tied. Even the physical practice of the martial arts <clears throat> is considered to be like a religious practice or a philosophical. We can't even call it so much religious as philosophical. It's kind of a, an Asian philosophy. These things are basically philosophies. What you and I think of as religion, that's not what those are. I mean, Buddhism is not a religion in the sense that Catholicism is a religion. Buddhism is more or less a philosophy. The same with Shinto is kind of a, an Asian philosophy. You know? So I have to be careful about this. But, but unfortunately, the philosophies of the, of the Asia are an attempt to, to explain reality, life, <clears throat> and the purpose of life, and so on. And therefore they can actually be an ersatz or replacement form of religion. For somebody who wants to make a philosophy <clears throat> their religion, to dictate to them what is the purpose of life and how must I live to, how must, how must I, I live my life in order to be happy and in, let's say, sync with the universe or in, in uh, you know, the movement is, uh, the, a circle is a movement of the Tao or whatever else, you know, you try to get uh, in sync with nature, whatever they want to say. Um, that can become a kind of ersatz religion. A, 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 basically a godless religion as far as we're concerned, because if they don't have the concept of God that we have, they don't have that concept of any of these Asian religions. You know? A knowing, loving God, uh, as we know God to be. Um, the idea of the force, you know, 
I mean, uh, who was it? Spielberg, right? Behind this, uh, the Star Wars things. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you're dealing with a form of Buddhism here, okay? Uh, the Force be with you and all that. And some people want to interpret that to be somehow corresponding to our a God, but it's not, okay? It is actually a, a Buddhist form of... Uh, of philosophy, and, and who's one of the most popular characters, the guy with the pointy ears, right? The, the little monk, uh, what's his name? No, uh, you don't know. I, I, yo, 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 Yoda. Yoda. Oh, Yoda. Yoda, yeah, okay, not yoga, Yoda, okay. And of course, he's the all-wise and yeah. has great powers and so on, yeah. the powers of mind. So, um, you know, so this is Buddhist. It's actually a kind of Buddhist propaganda. Mm-hmm. Really, got the kids starting to think in these terms, you know. Um, <clears throat> and the the dark side of the force and the light side of the force. I mean, yin yang, the whole thing. I mean, it all fits together. It's not Christianity in any means. This is Buddhism, or some form of it anyway. Hollywood Buddhism, you want to call it that. But uh, you know, he has every reason to be worried about it. There's nothing wrong with the martial arts practiced as a physical mm-hmm. exercise. Nothing wrong with that at all. It's when it's tied to some kind of uh, mystical philosophy of the East that uh, we cannot have anything to do with it. Um, And so, uh, you know, if you can find a a teacher, and they're out there, they are out there, who has completely separated the mastery of the art of it from the false philosophy. uh, the false philosophies of Asia, then, you know, you can indulge in this um, profitably, right? But again, you know, don't go in, don't don't bow to Buddha, don't bow to the picture of the founder as an act of homage. Uh, the bows that take place ordinarily are not worshipped so much as just a token of respect, right? Mm-hmm. So to bow to your opponent is... Is one thing to bow to an absent to a picture of an absent founder as though he's some sort of a uh, spiritual mentor. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. no, we don't do that. Yeah, yeah, Father, I'm not sure if it if it varies on a teacher by teacher basis or a uh, or a type of martial arts basis. But I remember growing up for many years, I took Shotokan karate, mm-hmm. and uh, I, as far as I remember, that that seemed to be very beneficial as far as exercise and. Mm-hmm. But it was also useful and, and kind of neat to learn all these these different self defense mm-hmm. techniques. So I don't know if that particular type of karate or something like that would would be more divorced from that idea of spiritualism, or if it just happened to be just the sense. No, I think it depends on the teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you have a Western teacher who who just you know appreciates the value of the 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 art itself. Mm-hmm. And doesn't uh, mix, does, does, it, let's say, shall we say, uh, strains out the false philosophy and the, 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 the oriental mystical religion part of it, mm-hmm. and just takes the art for what it is, it, it can be very good. Sure. Okay. Uh, finding the right teacher to do that, though, is the, is the task. Sure. All right, let's move on then, Father. We have another question we've had for a while now, uh, where this viewer says, I want to make a shrine in my home for the image of our Lord's sacred heart. I was wondering if it's okay if I use a chalice as part of it out of respect for the sacred vessels, or should a lay person not own one? Well, a chalice is ordinarily consecrated. 
if it's been put up for public sale, like a jeweler or a antique dealer, it loses its consecration. As soon as it, uh, it is bought or sold, it loses the consecration. But one has to remember, a chalice has been made for the Mass. Mm-hmm. And if it is really a chalice, I mean, if it, it's according to the specifications of the traditional Catholic Church, if it really is a chalice, and it was made for the Mass, or has been used at the Mass to hold the precious blood of our Lord, it shouldn't just be used as part of a, a shrine or a display of any kind, really. I mean, the Vatican does have chalices on display, I understand that, and has them behind glass, and they're, they're respected. But for a private individual to keep a chalice as part of a, a shrine display, I, I would say, I would discourage it myself. Would I, would I tell them that it's morally wrong to do that? Well, if they bought it at public sale, let's say to rescue it off the shelf of an antique shop, that's a good thing. Uh, it would not be consecrated. In fact, a priest would have to have it reconsecrated before he could use it in Mass. In any case, so it wouldn't be wrong for the layman to touch it in that case. <clears throat> but, um, you know, just, just getting back to the fact that uh, if it held the precious blood, it has to be treated with a great deal of reference. And, um, you know, if it's put in a place where it's just going to be left out gathering dust uh, for its symbolic value, uh, no, if it was made for the altar and it's really worthy, you know, in a sense, worthy to be used as a chalice, uh, then that's really what it was meant to do. And I would say that the right thing to do with a chalice like that is to restore a traditional Catholic priest and let him bring it back into service at the altar where it belongs. Sure. All right, well, we talked about the chalice. Now let's talk about the Eucharist. We have a, a viewer here who asks to please have Father Jenkins talk about the validity of Novus Ordo reception of the Eucharist. I've tried to get my sister and brother-in-law, who was ordained as a deacon in the Novus Ordo, that reception of the Eucharist in the hand is sacrilegious because reception in the hand is a sin of man-centered pride, and it's also a lack of reverence for Jesus. I try to tell them about the errors of Vatican II, but they don't want to talk about this subject. I pray that they may open their minds to the truth about the schismatic rite of the new Mass and the Eucharist, but they would not accept the fact that the result of Vatican II is a loss of faith. I am concerned about their salvation. And with good reason. Yeah. They, if they're not listening to you about the errors of Vatican II, they've turned a blind, blind eye to the evils, <clears throat> resulting in the loss of faith. Yeah. And uh, the adage, none is so blind as he who will not see. You know, they, will, they will not allow themselves to see it because <clears throat> they're invested in the Novus Ordo. Then, uh, you know, that, that's a serious problem. In other words, they need a serious grace. Are there precedents? Yeah, look at St. Paul. Right? Look at St. Paul, how he, by a miracle, was humbled and then was allowed to see the truth, right? And there are a goodly number of other examples, even in our own day, of people who were invested in the Novus Ordo, even Eucharistic ministers, who came to recognize that this is wrong. It sort of hit them all at once, like a, like a flash of, of light or grace in the soul, that suddenly they realize there's something wrong with this. And um, <clears throat> we have to pray for them. And uh, it's good that you're trying to talk to them. It's good for you're trying to make them see 
the truth. So don't necessarily stop talking to them to make them think that you've changed your mind or <clears throat> it's not important to you anymore. <coughs> Continue, but try to try to you know ask God to give you the grace to say the right thing in the right way. <clears throat> but above all, for every word you say to them, say ten or a hundred words to God in prayer for them, because they need the grace, the interior grace necessary to see this. I mean, <clears throat> to ask them, do you believe that is the real presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? That this is His living body and blood, soul and divinity. Do you believe that or not? <clears throat> And uh, if they say, yes, we do believe that, and they seem to be sincere, I mean, there are lots of questions, if they're willing to answer them, that they might not, they might not sit still for a, lot of, for a lecture, but they might sit still for a few questions about what they think, because people are always willing to talk about what they think. <laughs> so if you ask them, well, do you believe this? And you ask them, well, do you, do you believe that if you hand somebody a, 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 a piece of host or something, do you believe that particles of that host do uh, do break off from time to time. You know, where do they go? You know, what would they say? Right? Or what do they do with uh, what's left over in that chalice or that cup that you're using? What do they do with that? You know, do you think that really is respectful? Do you think that shows what you say you believe? Uh, what they're doing with that? You know. Um, is that important that it be given to those? Do they even believe in the state of grace anymore? Do they believe that it doesn't matter that you just go and give it to anybody and everybody? The, the, this this involves some serious questions that go that lead from one to another to another to another, and I mean you you can go through it like a litany of all the things wrong with the Novus Ordo. There. Do you believe that the body and blood of Christ should be treated with respect? Do you believe it is respectful to give it somebody who's been three times divorced and is now just living with his girlfriend or her boyfriend? Do you believe that's okay? Well, then why are you doing this? If you you know you put them on the spot in the sense that they can they can give you all the wrong answers, but it has to be having some effect in their mind. Wait a minute, I'm just saying that, but do I really believe that? You know, there's a, isn't there a problem with that in my own mind? In other words, that's what you want to do. You want to shake this, this smug um, compliance with the Novus Ordo that is in them and begin to put in their minds the, the, the glimmer of, of, of reality and truth. <laughs> they begin to see that, no, there's something wrong here, and I have, to, I have to, in all honesty, I have to think about this. I have to think this through and come up with the right answers here. Mm. And, you know, Father, if you, if you think about it, the Holy Eucharist is essentially the center of the Catholic religion. I've, I've read before that, that all of the other sacraments derive their, their, their grace from the great sacrament of, of the Holy Eucharist. And there's, there's a great story that I, that I read in a, uh, a forum of traditional Catholics where we're talking about how, how they, they each found the faith. And there was one particular story that, that, that stood out to me of an individual who said uh, they, they grew up with no religion. They decided that they wanted to seek and, and find the truth. Very quickly, they came to the realization that it had to be the Catholic faith. This could mm. only be the one true Catholic faith. So they went to their, their local Novus Ordo right. parish, and, and they saw there how, how they dealt with what was supposed to be the Holy Eucharist. They saw that, that um, how they would pour the leftover, what was supposed to be the blood of Christ, just pour it down the drain. They would keep the tabernacle uh, off to the side of the church. They uh, would, would Anyone would just come up, grab handfuls uh, of the Eucharist, and they, they 
quickly came to the realization that someone that treats what is supposed to be the center of their religion in this way with absolutely no respect, that that obviously cannot be the true religion. Mm-hmm. And from there, they, they found out about the traditional Catholic faith mm-hmm. and went to a traditional Catholic mass and were just astounded by the, the piety and the, and the reverence right, that, that right. traditional Catholics have. the contrast is yeah. powerful. Mm-hmm. And it, it's uh, recently there was. Well, a, see, that's grace. They were cooperating with grace, God's grace. Yeah, all. yeah. It, it was just great, great to to see such a simple, straightforward. Um, I mean, that's what happens when someone has the grace of God. That it really is that simple. All, all you need, all, all God needs, is your cooperation. Just to say, I want to find the truth and mean it sincerely. And it really is as simple as that. It's just a simple, logical process to mm-hmm. arrive at the conclusion that mm-hmm. the traditional Catholic faith is the one true faith because right, of. Right. Reverence for the Holy Eucharist. It's, it's important now that you mentioned that too, Tom, that people like that who have goodwill not be insulted in in the, the apologetic approach, because it, it's you know it's very easy to get frustrated in talking to people like the relatives. This gentleman's talking. It's very easy to be offended by them and get frustrated by them. And to say demeaning and insulting things to them. <clears throat> and when you do that, you take the focus off our Lord, the truth, the faith, and you make it a matter of yourself against them, and that's all they care about after that. That's a matter if it's a battle now, to defend themselves and uh, to attack you. So, um, you know, fortunately, these, these good people you're talking about found their way by being able to just, just look and see and, and ponder, process what they were seeing, and the, con- the, the contradiction between the, the faith, what it t- teaches, and the practice, the Novosordo. <clears throat> but all too often, when we have people who are trying to bring relatives over, rather than bring them to the point where they can see that, you know, or before they get to the point where they can see that, because that's ultimately what you want them to see, uh, they get offended by something. And something offensive is said, and all of a sudden, uh, it's as though the, the, the wall goes up and you, you just can't get anywhere because now their pride is involved. Mm-hmm. So in order to bring one's relatives to the point where those people could just see objectively that this is not the Catholic faith, what's going on in the Sordo, but the traditional practice is the Catholic faith. Um, in order to ever be able to arrive at that point with our friends and our relatives, we have to avoid <coughs> uh, basically insulting them. We have to avoid uh, uh, accusing them of, of stupidity, uh, being brigands, uh, being uh, uh, just evil, rotten, bad people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, because some of them are not, you know, and some of them may be and not have any love for God. But um, I'll tell you, uh, we we can actually be the worst enemies of the conversion of souls if we let our pride mm-hmm. get in the way. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say, Father, that that if the Holy Eucharist is the center of the Catholic faith, then it seems that it would not logically follow that. This would be one of the, the toughest things to, to accept. This would require the most grace to accept. And, you know, if you read in the, in the Gospels when our Lord was talking about the institution of the Holy Eucharist, this was the time when, when so many 
uh, of his followers just turned and walked away because yeah. it was such a hard thing. He promised so, to give his body and blood. Mm-hmm. So that, this, this seems like a, a, an instance when mm-hmm. uh, patience is really required to understand that this is the center of the Catholic religion, oh, yeah. so this might require the most the most grace to accept. Well, you're right. That would take a lot of grace, right? This is a hard saying, they said when they walked away from our Lord. And it requires faith in order to uh, accept it. But, you know, we also have to realize we're trying to bring people back from the Novus Ordo, from Protestantism, or even from atheism or Buddhism or wherever, that the Catholic faith is a way of life. It requires practical uh, uh, changes. It has practical consequences in a person's life. And people kind of naturally resist that. So we can't be surprised to find a certain natural resistance if a person sees that, well, if I follow your line of thinking and I come to these conclusions and you convince me that what you're saying is the truth, this is going to be not just a matter of my saying, okay, you know, I see your point. Yeah, you make a good point. I agree with you. No, it goes far beyond that. Now, there are some very serious consequences in the way I have to live my life. <clears throat> because if otherwise, I may say, okay, I agree with you, but I am not willing to, uh, to do what you've convinced me is the right thing. <clears throat> um, so they have to, well, again, it's almost like they resort to kind of a, a bit of martial arts to defend themselves. Uh, against what they might even interpret as a kind of spiritual aggression because you're trying to convince me of something that is going to have some serious practical consequences of my life that might affect my <clears throat> marriage, might affect my relationship with my children, might affect my relationships with, with my, uh, my friends, might affect my whole worldview. There are things I have to give up and now there are things instead that I have to do, to go out of my way to do, that can be very inconvenient. Or perhaps even more than inconvenient, right? So uh, it takes an enormous amount of grace to move someone, to be willing to not only see the truth, but to admit it, and the, and, and the accept, willingness to accept it, the, the practical consequences of it. Spiritual warfare, huh? It is, a, it is a spiritual warfare, and the uh, enemy is not just flesh and blood. There are principalities and powers, powers of darkness in high places. <laughs> takes takes great grace yeah. and the cooperation with grace. Well, Father, this has been a great program tonight. I think we've covered a lot of ground, and I know there's still a lot left to cover. We've talked before about the... Um, we have a number of, of questions concerning mm-hmm. the Took-Bishop line, so we'll have to do right. a follow-up. I understand there have been, there's a comment about that. Yeah, so we'll, we'll need to do a follow-up program on that soon, and also you have um, some some things you'd like to discuss as far as the baptism of blood, baptism of desire, and the right. Diamond Brothers, and, and things along that line. So there's right, right. plenty still on It, it seems that uh, people keep getting stuck on a statement about Eugene the Fourth. And uh, I think if people actually, well, people pick that up, they read it, and they read it at face value. According to what the, for example, some people tell them it, what it really means. Mm-hmm. But they, Protestant ministers, ministers, will tell you what the Catholic Church teaches. <laughs> but people are surprised to find out later that what their Protestant ministers have taught them about the teaching of the Church, or what their Protestant ministers have taught them about passages in the Bible and what they really mean, People find out that what they have been led to believe is not true, and so so it is with the, the statement of Pope Eugene the Fourth. 
But I think if people actually take a look at that, which is often a stumbling block even for untraditional Catholics who believe in baptism of desire and accept it, and they come to that statement of Eugene IV, they, they stop and they say, whoa, how do I explain this? Well, as a matter of fact, in a very Catholic way, in the way that Eugene IV meant it. But uh, frankly, I haven't seen many people who've explained very well what what that means. They just accept the false interpretation that's given to them by like the Diamond Brothers and so on. So I think we really need to take a look at that. And in some future video, I intend to do exactly that. Sounds like a plan. Let's do it. Thanks for being here tonight, Father. Appreciate welcome your time. To, you're very welcome. Thank you. No Thanks problem. for giving your time, too. <laughs> no problem. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.